Welcome to my summer podcast series where I'm talking with parents who are willing to share their stories. They have all had a journey through disability, evaluation, diagnosis, and getting help from a special education advocate to better navigate the school system and to get services that are in the best interest of their children. The road has not always been easy, but they are here because they are brave and they hope that their story will help other parents feel hopeful and less alone. So welcome. Help me welcome Annie onto the show. Annie is a mom who insisted on the least restrictive environment when the school district wanted to put her daughter into a self-contained life skills class early in her schooling. The family wanted their daughter to have an LRE or least restrictive environment school experience with general education peers. The family wanted their daughter to have life skills and believe they can be learned in the general education setting and within the family community. When the school district wanted to place her daughter in a one-size-fits-all transition program, Annie wanted a more individualized plan, even if it had never been done before. So please help me welcome Annie to the show. Okay, so thank you for being here today. I really appreciate you making the drive. And um, I am so eager for you to share your story, similar to how you shared it with me last week. So Annie, if you want to get started, um, your listeners are eager to hear what you have to say. Okay, I guess my story starts that I was an elementary ed teacher. And I didn't have kids when I started, so I was just the teacher. And being in a parochial school, I went to a few IEP meetings, mm-hmm. but they weren't really to deal with IEPs. They were to, to see if the kids belonged in the parochial school or if they do better in the public school. But being in the parochial schools, there was no start time and end time. We had to be there at school for a certain amount of time, but the, the phone calls at that time, the phone <laughs> calls and the communication with parents would go on into the evening, and I thought that was normal. Um, so I, fast forward, went ahead and had three kids that were your average kids, and they started school, and my first one had great kindergarten teacher, um, you know, had teachers that really cared, and I just thought that was normal. Mm-hmm. And then it was in third grade. He t- um, had a teacher, she was young, um, and... Now, which kid is this? Jake. Okay. And she wrote me a note complaining about Jake's behavior in class. Mm-hmm. So I went to her and I said, can you give me examples of what he's doing? He's misbehaving. And she said, well, it's just all day. And I said, then can you keep a journal for a day or two, just jot down times and what behavior it is, and then we can go from there. And she said, I don't have time for that. (laughs) And I was just shocked that Mm -hmm. she didn't have time and that she said that out loud to me as a parent. So I said, well, that's a shame. I'm going to have to talk to your principal if you don't have time to do your job. At which point she freaked out and I went to the principal. And that was my first taste to realize, you know, she could be forced to do it, but did I really want her to force to do it? Once I asked her to do that, Jake suddenly didn't have any behavior problems anymore. Oh, I don't. (laughs) Right. And so 
So you went from misbehaving all day long, but yes, she couldn't right. tell you an right. occasion, a time, an antecedent, anything that happened, or any details about it. It was Correct. just a general statement. Right. Okay. And I needed to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, we have baby number four, and Ellie had some health problems from day one, and we had her in speech at 18 months. Okay. So I knew it was going to be a yeah. different path. She started um, special ed, early childhood, the day she turned three. Mm-hmm. And again, she had a teacher that was like a Mary Poppins. It was her life. It was She went above and beyond, and I fell into that rhythm where I thought this was normal. Mm-hmm. Like when I used to teach, that I would just do anything and everything for these kids. Mm-hmm. And she did. And then the following year, she was starting kindergarten, and they wanted to put her in a self-contained classroom. And I was concerned with that. So mm-hmm. I went to visit. It was a classroom with every every diagnosis all in one room. I was concerned for Ellie's safety. I was concerned for her nonverbal mm-hmm. um, abilities at that point. And they, the school district told me she's untestable. We don't know what she's capable of. And mm-hmm. I thought... Every child's testable. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to um, a parent advocate. Mm-hmm. I think I found through the doctor's office. Okay. She worked with us. She was great. The minute she came into the room, the tone changed at the IEP. They, the school district, pretty much shut down and refused to let her be in a regular classroom. So the parent advocate took me aside and said, you have to really think about what you're fighting for. The school district had been taken to court before. They had never lost. Um, Her teacher actually, her kindergarten teacher actually told me if I got her an autism label, she could have a full-time aide in the classroom. And my concern was she wasn't autistic. Right. And so what was that going to help Ellie? So she proceeded to do kindergarten in um, the regular classroom, but she was bounced around from PT to speech to left, you know, to sit in the corner by herself. And so the parent advocate said, you can fight, but if she gets an aide, what is she gonna do in that classroom? She's just gonna sit. So we sold our house and packed up and moved to a new school district where they had specific classrooms for, at that time, LD or behavior, um, um, children with behavior problems. So so they gave more specialized instruction yes. at the new district. They didn't just essentially, from your perspective, they were putting all the students with all kinds of special needs just in one contained classroom as opposed to meeting their needs more either individually or as a group. And so now you found a school district who either did inclusion or did um, a little bit more specialized instruction depending on the disability and the needs. Correct. She she was pulled out um, here and there, but for the most part, she was with kids um, with similar challenges and a teacher that specialized in special ed, and they actually stayed together for three years. Mm. And being that Ellie didn't really have a kindergarten year, I felt like she needed to play catch up. Okay. Again, an amazing teacher. It was her life. 
She went above and beyond for these kids, and I got really comfortable. Mm -hmm. And then she had to move to a fourth and fifth grade classroom, which she did well. And then she moved to the middle school. The teacher or your daughter? Oh, Ellie. Ellie moved to the middle school. Okay. And the middle school, she started in a similar classroom, Mm -hmm. and quickly I could tell it was changing. It was going to all the children that did not fit in an average classroom that might have an IEP were put together. Okay. And for a while, Ellie was the only girl, which was very common, tend to have more boys. Um, But I was concerned with Ellie's social. I was concerned with um, that Ellie's desire to learn was age appropriate, but her reading skills and writing skills weren't age appropriate. So even Ellie came to me at the end of sixth grade and wanted to know why she wasn't reading Anne Frank. Okay. Why she was still reading Judy B. Joan books in, at the end of sixth grade. Sixth grade, yeah. And so I started seventh grade with her with an IEP explaining that this seventh grader needs to be taking health class for the fact that she's entered puberty. She needs to be reading books that are relatable to a seventh grader. Mm-hmm. She needs to be participating in gym class with you know peers right? peers exactly and they started to push back mm. so most of sixth grade was um fighting to get mm-hmm. what was rightfully hers and seventh grade we just hit a roadblock at the beginning of the year and i told my husband we need to get another parent advocate okay so that's when i reached out yeah. to you yeah um and from there, there on, I realized that having you there was like saying to the team, we're going to follow the rules and you're going to be held accountable for the laws. Without you there as the parent advocate, we just constantly heard, no, no, it's not available. No, it's not possible. Yeah. And as a parent, so emotionally involved, I did a lot of crying, we'd walk away with, Oh my gosh, okay. And it wasn't until we brought you on, our team, that we felt like suddenly doors were opening. And nothing outrageous, just what was rightfully Ellie's. Right. Rightfully hers. Right. Right. Because I I remember in the beginning, like when we first met, I know one of your first things that you and your husband said is, I don't want my daughter wiping down tables all day. And I remember that so vividly to be like, wait, why is she wiping down tables? Like, why? And you're like, well, the program they want to put her, put her in is, you know, they would have jobs around the, the school, which there's nothing wrong with that. However, it was away from her peers. It was away from her, her age-appropriate um, peers and standards and all of that and you said no there was I want more for my daughter and I think she wanted more too yes. I mean yes. that was huge to hear her say no I don't want to be wiping down tables all day and I want to be with you know this group of people and in the gen ed and I want I want to be part of it all and she wanted to learn she had such a strong desire I think to learn so um, yeah I remember that and then just like you said trying to hold them accountable to say you know, um, what, what, what will inclusion look like? And that was almost foreign for that team. Yes, 
it really was. You were kind of the salmon swimming upstream, or you know. She, she was an oddity. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. I don't know since then if there's been any other Ellies that have come through that path. But I I realized a long time ago I I can share my story, but I can't. I couldn't help everybody, but I really needed to focus on Ellie, and. Unfortunately, I think there are a lot of parents that are just like, okay, they know what they're doing. They're the teachers. They're the school district. They said no. This is terrible, but what do we do? Mm-hmm. And the thought of hiring an attorney seems so dramatic and like, yeah. like going to court and all that. And we didn't need that. We just needed someone that knew the laws and that could stand up. I knew you loved Ellie. But I knew when you went in there, it wasn't personal. It was about the law. Correct. Yes. And I think that is such an important piece that I try to explain or when I, when I speak to parents is I want you to be the parent. I want you to be the emotional, passionate historian about your kid because you know your kid the best. That's your role in the meeting is you know where, where she's been, what she's capable of, and so forth. Let me navigate us. Let, let me figure out the rules, the regulations, the accountability, the paperwork, all of that. But your role is to be that passionate um, you know, parent. And I think it works well when we know our roles. I, I really do. And absolutely. I, I absolutely, you know, I do. I adore your daughter, and I think that she... Um, She's she's a spitfire, you know, and I like that about her. Um, but you know her best, you know. So yeah, I think that that's a very good point. Is it allows you to um, try not to do everything within a meeting because sometimes those meetings are probably very emotional for parents. Yes, especially when they start out and they repeat the same thing at the beginning of the IEP of what student you have and what their shortfalls are, and even though you know it. It's still hard to hear out loud. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely, absolutely. So, um, I think I think it's great to have some, like you said, to have somebody, and, and it doesn't have to be a parent advocate. It could be anybody. It could be your neighbor, your grandmother, a, another teacher, another body, somebody who could just be once removed mm-hmm. from the emotion of it and speak clearly and you know understand the rules, the regulations, and you know, the processes, um, and again, hold them accountable, I think, which is really good. So, um, so I think where you were in your story is probably that eighth grade. What happened in high school? Talk to us a little bit about so, high school. transitioning into high school, they started um, a year before starting to plan the path, and it wasn't the path we wanted for our daughter. It wasn't the path she wanted. She knew her older siblings had gone to the high school and had rotated class. Classes was a big deal for her. She wanted to take a history class. Um, she, she wanted to do more reading and writing that was age appropriate. Um, even though she had difficulty with it, she still enjoyed the content. So we started talking early in eighth grade mm-hmm. and they were like, no, no, this is the program we have, this huge umbrella. and. There's different levels in the program, but she's going to fit in the program. And the problem with the program was Ellie did not want to be with peers. I I think what I heard was it was who she identified with. Yes. I think that's probably the best way to put it is 
she was identifying with gen ed peers and she was identifying with gen ed classes and what her sisters and brother had done and so her identity as a sibling within your family and i think what i saw with her is she was torn because she had friends with multiple disabilities in some of those classes but yet she wanted to be in gen ed and so i saw your family in not turmoil but in in conflict to say i think ellie felt like she was abandoning some of her friends that were in you know that life skills program because she wanted to be in gen ed and so i i think i really saw that within your family but she was identifying as a student that could be successful in a gen ed setting and you guys said then let's try it <laughs> like with accommodations and with you know modifications when necessary but let's do it if you want to take those electives and if you want to take those classes that your sisters took and your brother took and you wanted i think it was really important for her to change classes you know to to, to be like i don't want to say normal but yeah to have that high school experience and i remember she wanted to go to homecoming and she wanted to go to prom and that was huge like she just had this huge desire to just fit in. Well, and I think Joe and I talked about how, my husband, about the um, difference in your definition, my definition, the school's definition of life skills. Yes. Ellie's life skills at that point were making new friends, yes. maneuvering herself around that ginormous high school, huge. which she got lost a lot, <laughs> um, being able to communicate with teachers that weren't in the special ed program, um, make friends of all different walks of life and be held accountable. Mm-hmm. And had we listened to the school district, they would have said, no, she can't take a gen ed class. We can't make accommodations for her. And we probably would have walked away going, okay. And we would have had a miserable child. Mm-hmm. She was miserable most of seventh and eighth grade because she just wanted to be with her friends in regular classes. Mm-hmm. And in gen ed and that was the big fight right. so the this was a little girl that never complained about going to school all through grade school seventh grade was the trigger yeah. and i knew we couldn't do that in high school yeah so in high school our life skills we were concerned with were the socializing the problem solving the asking for help the moving around the school and the programs was running a coffee shop and focusing on counting money And I had learned early on, I had quit my full-time job after Ellie was born and realized that I can use my skills as a teacher at home. Mm -hmm. And so we worked on the same skills I worked with the others. We didn't go to the grocery store without her having a list and, you know, talking about money. And that was just a day-to-day thing. And I always said, when she finishes high school, there will be time to learn and focus on that if she wants to be a waitress or if she wants to clean tables. But right now, I really could not teach her chemistry. She took a chemistry course. We both learned a lot. Mm -hmm. She took a history class, which she got all A's in. But the sad part was she didn't have a foundation for American history. So that was always something we kind of had to work on at home. Um, she missed a lot of that grade school, middle school foundation yeah. for history and English. Yeah. But she fought, and, and the same thing with health. Yeah. By the time she took health in ninth grade, 
they were learning there was no sex ed they were learning about pregnancy so that was a big leap of be quick trying to you know make sure she understood how to get pregnant before she was watching the birthing videos yes and i don't as a parent 100% you know we need to we taught our kids about sex ed and about puberty but what if i was the parent that didn't do that correct where would they, and and they miss that somehow yes. in the Again, the special ed rooms, or they miss that in the health class, or they miss that in... I remember you had shared not only about the health, but about just the geography of the United States. I think you had mentioned something about her not realizing that New Mexico was a state. You know, and, and again, what I'm hearing you say is you kind of, not blame it, but it's it's a consequence of her being in some of these special ed, special ed classes and not getting the full scope of all of this the standards that gen ed meets you know and it's i think also for you your family like you said you were teaching money as you she had a job at, at the family business so so some of those things you're like yes they're important absolutely they're important but it's not individualized. So when they were trying to sell you this, oh, but she's going to learn money skills because she's going to do a coffee cart, that's great, but she already had the money skills. Yeah. And so they were just kind of saying, but we have this program. And even though it wasn't individualized for her, they just kept saying, but she belongs in this program. And it's like, yeah, but they couldn't sell us on it because she already had the skills that they were supposedly learning in this program. So, or, with your daughter's case, it didn't take or wouldn't take four years to learn it. And so you really wanted something different, you know, is what you heard. And so tell us about what else she did in high school, because I love her high school experience. So she started high school in gen eds, and they were hard for both of us. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, without me being able to tutor or being there to help her, it would have been a struggle. Mm -hmm. But you... You told us and told the IEP team that things could be modified. Mm -hmm. They were insistent that she couldn't take algebra. Mm -hmm. She took algebra one and two. <laughs> it can be modified. You yes. taught us that anything can be modified. Yes. And then the same thing with an English class. We did a lot of audiobooks. We did a lot of reading together. Um, and I, I was comfortable modifying to a degree. Mm -hmm. And then I quickly realized that some of the teachers were just grateful I was modifying. <laughs> and so I realized I had some power. I, it was easier for me to modify than them. And she, um, she took a health class that really was not, a lot of her classes were co-taught and a lot of kids had IEPs mm -hmm. in them and they were a little slower paced, but health was not one of them, which I thought was ridiculous, but you know, it was a class of like 40 kids Mm -hmm. And I could tell the first week the teacher was terrified. So I just stepped in and said, I'm going to help modify. Mm -hmm. And But I always thought about those parents that didn't Don't. know enough to do that or didn't have the time to do it or the skills. Or even know enough to be empowered to yes. do it. Yes. Because to me, you know your kid. You know when he or she has had enough. You know after 40 minutes of homework, we're done. Yes. And you write on the paper, we're done. That's it. it. But I think parents, rightfully so, 
they're very dutiful. They they want to do what's right. And so I think they think that if a homework sheet is sent home, it needs to be done in completion. And, and they want to they want to follow the rules, you know, but you also know your kid. And if they can only complete one quarter of it, then say, hey, we're sending it back and bring it back tomorrow and we'll do another six right. problems or something like that. But again, that's why as the historian, you know what your kid's capable of and what they're not. And, and I think most teachers, like you said, they're okay with that. And if it doesn't need to be modified, you have a right for things to be modified. And when your kids hit their limit, it's hit their limit, you know? Because it can be a really long day for a student with special needs yes. to figure it all out during those six or seven hours during the day and then come home and still trying to be figuring it out. Because like you said, sometimes just navigating the, the building is a win. Yes. <laughs> sometimes asking for help is a win. Like all of those skills that some people take for granted are wins for students with special needs, you know? And so they're tired by the time they get home. And I think it's perfectly okay, you know, to have that dialogue, whether it's be with the case manager or the special ed teacher, um, to say that when my kid is done, they're done, you know? Or, one of the biggest concerns, and we talked to mm-hmm. you about this, at the high school, so when they would finally agree to give Ellie the right to be in gen ed classes, their number one concern was that we couldn't come back and complain to them that she didn't get certain life skills and they wanted us to put it in right correct <laughs> and it was kind of like are you worried about your own skin or are you worried about this student getting the best education she can get yes and i mean i would never have wanted ellie to miss out on anything that's why we worked so hard but because she was not following the path of everybody else mm-hmm. then I realized, I, I, I felt like a lot of them, their number one concern was their own skin. They mm-hmm. were worried. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like you said, there are some districts who get sued, you know, like your, your first, you know, district that you experienced. Um, and there are parents who will say, you, you failed my kid because you didn't give them specialized instruction. And then you've got a family, too, that says... I wanted, you know, individualized to meet my kids' needs. And if gen ed can meet my kids' needs in the least restrictive environment, that's what I want. And I think as an advocate, I listen to that. I listen to say you have a right to the least restrictive environment with, you know, accommodations, you know, modifications with whatever is needed to be successful in that um, environment. But you have a right to it. And so, yeah, that's what I wanted to fight and um, advocate for and again hold them accountable but you're right they didn't want to come back and say that somehow you know we denied um, specialized instruction um, but there was always a special ed teacher in the co-taught classroom too right. so right. Um, that you know I think in your case it was really good so um, Ellie went on to junior year <laughs> to take um, driver's ed which I would have bet every penny in my life that she would never have taken it. She took the class, which was not modified. Yep. And then the driver's ed part was, Uh that was done through um, a PT. Um, So that that was modified, but the class itself could not be the test. She got an A. She continued to prove herself time and time again, and I never felt like the school district 
would admit it. Yeah. Would give her the praise that she deserved. Right. But but we celebrated the victory. You Absolutely. celebrated the victory. Your family celebrated the victory. Right. And I remember you thinking, how is she ever going to pass a driver's ed test? And we, you and I both talked about it. And we said, I, I don't know. Let's figure it out. And if she does need rehabilitation services for the behind the wheel, then let her have them. Like, or, you know, if it's the PT or the OT or whatever was needed, let her get them. But who are you and I to make that decision for her? especially when she was 14. Let's wait and see what happens. And I'm, I was so proud of her. So whether or not the school district ever admitted, I, you know, I don't, I think some parents need to be okay with that and say, you guys celebrate as a family and you celebrate because yes. you got the victory. You know, right. you got the victory when she was able to, I mean, she was able to take driver's ed. She was able to go to homecoming. There were so many things that she was able to go and get skilled to be a child care worker. So talk yes. to us about that too, because that was another victory that I don't think that team in seventh and eighth grade would have ever thought possible. So junior year, she came home like um, her older brother, and there was a vocational school that's available mm-hmm. through the district. And they spend half a morning, they spend the morning there, and then they come back and they take the rest of their classes at the high school. Okay. And she wanted to do this. Yes. And I think the first thing out of the counselor's mouth was no. Right. Oh, no, they can't. No. So I contacted you, and we together contacted the vocational school, and they said, absolutely, they have kids with IEPs. And And I I knew that because I was offered a job there to be the director of students with special needs. So I knew. So when you came to me and said... They keep telling my child, no, because my child has a disability, she doesn't qualify for the vocational program. Like, I knew, I knew it was a, it was just false information. It was bad information. And whether it was intentional or not, we will never know. But, again, we were able to advocate to say, why not? Why not? Why, can, why, why can't she? Why can't she? So she picked early childhood. She's always said she feels most comfortable working with children and I think it's because they're not going to question her intelligence Mm -hmm. and we've never really discussed that but she's always been concerned what if I have children and I can't read as well as they do Mm -hmm. so those little things so she found her comfort spot senior year she was in the early childhood classroom in the mornings taking gen ed classes in the afternoon and then COVID hit <laughs> and the last two months of school were spent online and, yeah. and that was hard for everyone and the following year she did online classes through the vocational school yeah. and that again wasn't really the the, the best, best thing but for, we for rolled anybody. with it <laughs> and then she was going to do transition and I said, well, can she continue at the vocational school? And they said, no, not for transition. And I had learned, it took me this long to learn, <laughs> senior year, if they say no, question it. Yeah. So we Ask talked with not. you, and they were like, transition has to be at building 101 and nowhere else. And you continue to push back and say, no, it doesn't. Transition can be whatever it looks like. Yeah. So we fought. And she continued two more years of her transition at the vocational school, which to her was like college. It was 
you know, mm-hmm. you were dropped off. It was um, going from the class to the class by yourself. They were treated as the adults they were. She learned so many skills that she continued to work at her job and um, an after-school program. Correct. And excelled in that and then received a certificate that she certified in early childhood, like assisting. Yes. And she found her niche she that did. she was good at. And she made friends. Yes. And she, she would tell me, nobody there knows I'm in transition, which was important to her. Yeah. She learned to take a taxi, which I don't think I took a taxi until I was... Probably after college. Life skills. Talk yes. about life skills. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. She was in gen ed, and you know what? She learned life skills. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. She didn't have to be in a life skills program. No. No, I guess the definition of life skills really matter. I know. I know. Really matter. And at the early childhood, oh, trust me, she learned to clean tables. Oh, yeah. She learned to clean up after kids. There were yes. kids that had accidents. She learned the nitty-gritty of yeah. all of that life yeah. skills. And that's going to carry her yeah. through life. Absolutely. But I think parents, they they hear, well, we have a program that will teach life skills. And that sounds great. Like, I want my kid to have life skills. I want every kid to have life skills. But then the question is, well, could those same life skills be taught elsewhere? Could, could they be gotten along the way? Can they? And, and the answer in your family's case is yes, they can be learned along the way. And I think one of the most, I don't know, wonderful, warm things um, that you shared with me last week, and you'll say it better than I can, but what you said was that, you know, Ellie, all this time, she identified with Gen Ed, and it wasn't what Gen Ed could give her, but it's also what she offered back to those Gen Ed kids. She has such a good, kind heart. She is so sweet, and she's so considerate, and teachers would repeatedly say what a kind and wonderful human being your daughter is. So it wasn't like she just took and took and took, but she gave and she gave and she gave because she's a kind, warm, wonderful human being who also has special needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. She, I think from, if we go back to kindergarten, I felt they told us she was going to take up space. Yeah. And then by the end of her road of transition, yeah, she took up space. She took up a lot of space. (laughs) And she (laughs) became a spitfire, but she was always helpful she never was unkind to someone at school Mm. she had a great sense of humor she made friends she experienced what she thought was high school whether it was the dances or the games or the friends and um she experienced all of that and by that was due to the fact that she could roam the halls she wasn't in this lockdown and doing arts and crafts, which I said, I don't want you doing arts and crafts at school. We don't have any time for that. We have (laughs) learning to do. You need to be spending the time. And those are the things that I now feel comfortable dropping her off at the grocery store 
and letting her go in by herself, mm-hmm. we've still made modification, modifications in life mm-hmm. as far as money. Money's still hard, but you've taught us that you can still make modifications. Um, jobs, we, she found a job at a sports um, training, and they were very open to making modifications. And there were jobs that were not. Mm-hmm. And we explained to Ellie, that's not the place for you. <laughs> yeah. You want to be somewhere where you're welcome and Absolutely. people are willing to accommodate and work with you and those kind of things. But she, um, yeah, yeah, she's proven just about everyone, including my husband and I, wrong. Yeah. And I've never been more thankful for a kid that can prove us wrong and say, I told you so. And Yeah. Way to go. Well, what a great story. And uh, you've had so many people supporting you along the way. I know you also mentioned that you've had, like, not only great teachers, but you've had, like, great social workers and great people who just really, really have supported and advocated for her as well and gone above and beyond, you know. So thank you for your story. And thank you. I'm so proud of her and so proud of you guys for um, questioning the why. I've learned not to say no. She can't because she'll end up proving us wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good for her. Good for her. And I hope she continues to do that throughout throughout her life without a doubt. So you've got a great kid. Yeah. Thank you for all you did. You're welcome.